0: For me, a real a real shift in people's mindsets that analytics was an afterthought. It was something where, you know, a checkbox, we put the code on the website, we're good to go.
1: Welcome to Marketing Unfuck, the only podcast that helps you unfuck your marketing by hosting conversations with all the badasses in this industry. We're your hosts, Siobhan and Russell, and today we're joined by Jill Quick, where we discuss the future of marketing analytics, Google Analytics 4, and much more. Let's do this.
0: So Jill, how do we unpack marketing? I've never been asked that question before. It's so refreshing. I guess from my background, being very much in the measurement side of things, I've got a lovely phrase that I use when I get to see people's data and how they've been visualizing their data, which is confabulations of data, the lies you tell honestly, because there's a lot that goes on in digital marketing or marketing or however you want to to phrase it, and I find it really fascinating that people will take a report and not really understand how that data was collected or processed or how it got there, but they use that as gospel. And then you realize that there's issues and problems because of the way it was collected and configured, But they took those reports as the, the God's honest source truth. And one way to kind of unravel that or unfuck it as you have it in the question is to try and validate that collection strategy and get things on a cleaner, more honest point of view. Because I don't think people do this intentionally. I don't meet people that go, we've deliberately changed the report," Or maybe you've met people probably be like, no, people can do that too. But I think most of the time people take reports and and don't realise that they're presenting a lie because you don't know what you don't know. So that's been a lot of the work I've done over the last decade to untangle that a little bit.
1: So let's deep dive into that a little bit, because that's a very grandiose statement of, I've untangled that. That is, and we, we recently spoke to, to Rick Tronkers, and one of the things we spoke about on that podcast was about process, which is basically the bit that you're talking about, but we couldn't get into too much information because we ran out of time. So go. What's, what do you mean by the untangling and, and what is that?
0: Whenever I do a project where I will do an audit or a measurement plan, specifically it's been around Google Analytics and GA4 most recently. It's kept me the most busy. I start off with a situation analysis. So that gets into the very... Boring, but very needy viewpoint of getting. I've got an Excel document and I go through all the account property and view settings. I go through all of the event data and I start asking questions to the client. So I'll ask things like, what do you use the data for? Do you have any questions that you feel like you can't answer or you don't think you've got the data to support it? Because if you say to the client, hey, what's wrong with your analytics? They'll go, I don't know. They they just know it doesn't feel right or somebody had a question for it. If you ask people, why are they using the data and what do they want to get out of it? What's the questions that they're trying to answer? I can then find out if those questions have been answered honestly, if or if there have been a bit of a confabulation with the way it's being processed, or has there been a blind spot in their tracking because they don't know what they don't know. So an example could be for some people, it's really basic because you've got to remember that there's no, there's no formal training in analytics. You start a job, you get a login, you go in. So I've got one client that's like, Do you know what? We really want to know who downloads these PDFs. Does anybody click on the donate button? And you might look at it and go, well, that's, that's a piece of piss. That's dead easy. But for these, these users, they're going, we're just looking at page views and the stuff that comes out of the box in GA. We don't know anything else. So knowing that the board were worried about content consumption and how many people were going off to their their main objective, I could then look at the way that things had been tracked in that situation analysis and either tell them, sometimes joyfully, oh, you have that information. You just didn't know it was there because somebody did it, but you don't know it's an event and where it lives. Or maybe that they had a goal, but it wasn't set up correctly or whatever. And then you get other questions from people where they say... I want to get revenue by all of the different countries and we want to take away the refund data and you then into like, okay, we're going to need to do some plumbing and stitching and then it's a bit bit crazy. And I like having these surveys for the team. So I normally do this as a Google form and I'll ask people to answer these questions that are the people using the data or people that are impacted by the data collection so then it should go to marketing, sales, revenue, forecasting, agencies, consultants, anybody that is impacted by those dials going up or down. I want to know how confident are they in the data that's being collected? And if they aren't confident, why are they not confident? I want to know their level of knowledge because you don't want to pick on somebody and go, ha you don't know custom dimensions. You're just saying, well, what don't you know? Or what do you feel like you don't know on a scale of one to 10? And then from there, I can collectively get an idea from a company point of view with all those different areas. What is the level of understanding and knowledge? So then I know how to write the report in a way. Cause if I go too complicated and everybody's a four, then that report's going to seem like word soup to them and having an understanding of those questions. As I said, why are they using the data? What questions do they not get, get asked? And then framing from that, that situation analysis the measurement objectives that I can then use for that solution design. So once we've identified how they've been tracking things and what they're doing and their plans for marketing or whatever, and then what those objectives are from the the broader macro objectives, we sell products, we have forms, down to oh, we need to know about content consumption. Oh, we need to know about the best audience. We need to know this, that, and the other. From there, you can then work out what is the best Solution for them. And that's when I'll work on a plan. Now, at the moment, it's been more GA4 focused, but I'm still doing the UA review to go, you know, you've not done your referral exclusions. That's impacted your attribution or you've got some goals, but they're not configured correctly. So thinking about the solution design, I then go through another process where it's another spreadsheet. I love my spreadsheets and I work out based on what they've told me of what's important to them. What do they need? Because just because you can track everything till the sun goes down, doesn't mean you have to have it. And if they're not going to use the data, then it is completely pointless. And we've we've had situations in the past where I did some training for a company. They were using 360, spending six figures a year. And most of the people are like, yeah, I don't really look at it. Look at it when I'm bored, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, you've got all these fancy bells and whistles. But if nobody's using it, or if you don't have the capacity to use it, so that's been the other side of this, that you could build it, but the team are like, hey, there's four of us, so we can't cope with all of this. We're on a scaled journey with our marketing plans as well. So that's where I think that's that situation analysis is so critical to validate those. And then Jill, those- one second. How do you deal
2: with that when people are like that? Like, you know, you're telling me that someone has, is paying for 360 and aren't looking at it. Yeah. So, you know... Solution design, yes, great. But how are you dealing with that? Because ultimately, what are you telling them?
0: Get rid of 360 and let's learn how to use Google Analytics. It's, I mean, I wouldn't, I would never say get rid of stuff because that's their, (laughs) that's their plan. But, um, I think it, it goes down to breaking down again. If I'm doing this survey and everybody's replied honestly to it. The ones that are saying, I don't really use it, it's because their confidence in the data is low, and I need to understand why that confidence is low. If they're going to another source of truth that's different to the rest of the company, why is that? Can we get everybody on the same page? Understanding their, their levels of knowledge and understanding and confidence, if that's also low, then they might not be using it because they just don't know how to use it. So in this instance, we had a mixed bag that they didn't know how it worked. They knew it existed, but they didn't trust it. So that's when you go into, well, why don't you trust it? And then looking at the the engine, so to speak, mm-hmm. universal analytics, we could find that the reason why they didn't trust it is because there was problems with the collection and configuration. There was cardinality problems that could have been fixed by pulling it into BigQuery. So we we could find, the reasons but I I need to understand why they don't have confidence and I mean if they just say I don't know I just don't like it then I mean that's 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 more shrink activity isn't it they need therapy I can't that's HR needs to come in and deal with them for that but it's um
1: something you said there Jill just um just to skip back a little bit one of the things you said was what questions they want to get from the data what answers to questions do you find often that they're not asking the right questions because they've been blinkered by their their experience of that technology or what that technology says that they can do. Do you feel that that's more common now, or has it always been like this?
0: I don't know, really. A bit of a bit of both, I guess. Like there's 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 people that will give me boilerplate answers, cookie cutter answers. Oh, I like the sources and medians report. I'm like, you're telling me what you think I want to know. And I think that's where me coming in as an external consultant has been helpful when I'm saying to the people that we're, we're, we're reviewing, we're, we're, we're getting that that survey information from, that I'm not going to share their secrets. Like I'm getting this and I'm not going to say, oh, Russell said this. I just collectively say in these departments, these themes, because it's not I'm not in the company, I'm I'm external. So it's not your boss looking at this. You don't have your boss to know, oh God, they think I know this and and I don't know this. And then when I present it and go, oh, you're all a four, there's like a collective relief because they go, oh, thank God, it's not just me. And if there is a gap, then I'm like, well, you need to address that. You sit down with your manager and go, I have a skills gap. Please help me in my development on my roadmap so that I can improve my skill set. I think I'm here. How do I get to here, 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 here and here? And then for the others, it's, it's normally just that they care about their work. Cause I mean, that, that's normal, right? Like that's your, that's your instinct, isn't it? That I don't care if you, if you're SEO, like the SEO team are like, I just care about this content paid cared about something else. Business development didn't care about any of that. It's, it's working out what's important to them, but trying to tie everybody's objective to hopefully. A cohesive company objective because if you're not all on the same page, trying to get the same goal for everybody, why are you in the company? Like, why are you there? Because you're all there for the same reason: it's growth. You're either maintaining your position or you're trying to grow. Nobody's in a job to go, can't wait till this till it sinks. Let's let's try and crash it. It's hopefully we're all doing a job to keep things going. So yeah, yeah it's
2: like it's almost like you're playing HR more than data. A consultant I mean, at this that, point, right?
0: It surprises people with my process that I'm, I like the way that I work because I know it has the best output. There's no point in me doing, before I did this more specific process, when I started 10 years ago, I'd go, give me access to your analytics. I'll do an audit, presented it back. And it was one of those like, oh, a consultant's given us a weighty report, stamped. Nobody did anything with the report. They didn't implement anything. Nobody learned anything. And then somebody gets told off for spending money with an external consultant that didn't improve the bottom line. So, but then how are you avoiding? working with the people that
2: are looking for that report? Because we all know it. We have them come to us all the time. Oh, we just want that report because someone up there wanted that report. How are you making sure that you're not dealing with those people so that they're open to you even taking those questions?
0: So before I work with a client, most of my work at the moment has been referral-based. So it's either people that have seen me speak, people that have worked with me in the past, or friends of people that have said I had a problem and they'll go, Jill can fix that. Jill can help you with that. It's a bit like, I guess, with any sort of business development, you have a discovery call and I start asking questions and, you know, what do they do? What do I do And my process? And I'm really honest with them. If they don't like the way that I work, I'm like, that is completely fine. There are other people that you can work with. I'm not going to devalue or change the way I work to fit somebody else. I can I can model to a business in terms of what they want. But if they want a quick and dirty report, go to Fiverr and just go, yeah, get somebody to just go through the report and give me something. I'm sure somebody's created something for that already. And I think people that want that shortcut, quick win, I don't want to work with those types of people. I want to work with people that want to use the data to help build a hypothesis for where they should be taking their marketing strategy. If they don't want to use the data for that, why are you investing in me? It's actually... Worse for me as a consultant, because if I have clients like that, they'll be like, yeah, we used a consultant. It was Jill. She was shit. She didn't do anything. I'm not going to get any work if that happens. So I want to work with people that like it. Because I work for myself, I I get to be picky, I guess. Like if I don't like it and it's not the right fit for for a number of reasons, sometimes I'll have a client and they need something much bigger than I can offer. And sometimes I can join with other consultants to give that, that wider service. But sometimes it's like, oh your pick your 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 issues like you said about the she brought about hr issues when you get get into it you're like actually you need like an organization structure review you need other this isn't the service you're looking for it's something else and i'm i'm happy to walk away from that as well because i might not be right for them then i'd rather wait until they're ready to to do the stuff that i focus on So
2: I'm pretty sure that every CMO listening to this, as well as everyone who's a practicing measurement marketer, is thinking, how do I get to be the client or how am I going to get that client? So let's dig into that a little bit because it's it's on everyone's question, right? Because I'm pretty sure most CMOs want to work with someone who actually will take the time. So they're trying to understand how they get to that person or what they need to get to that person. And all of us, we all know we want to work with clients that are a lot more involved and don't just want to stamp. Like, what's your process there? And you're good with processes, so I'm sure you have a spreadsheet for it. I don't talk me, talk know. us I'm through really
0: that. Oh no, this. I've actually got. I'm a bit old-fashioned. Um, I have a notebook where I I write little notes and and reports, and then if it goes into a proposal, then I have a, an Excel sheet that literally says the day, the name that I sent, and when do I follow up. It's probably a bit more organic, but again, I think it's because I'm a one-person company that I can be a lot more. Fluid in how I approach that, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think what what we see quite often, and it's been pretty similar in other sort of verticals within marketing, is that the big agencies tend to sell a audit because they can productionize mm. the process, and they productionize an output that deals with ninety five percent of the scenarios for a large company because the issues that a an established business that's been doing that activity for some time have very similar issues. So there is a cookie-cutter approach that works for those. I think the fast-growth businesses, the D2C businesses that have done so well over the last five years, the established but lag laggard technologies, so people in, like in financial services, insurance, where those sectors tend to be technology- less technology savvy than a, a sort of a faster moving vertical. All of those have newer types of challenges. And as they're becoming more like going through digital transformation, buzzword from six years ago, as they go through digital transformation projects, this comes up and that's where you have to have a more qualitative approach to both the work you're doing and the challenges they're facing, but then also in those initial discussions where, as you said, like I, for my career, majority of the work I get is through referral through people that I've worked with. And I think it's the same for you, Siobhan, as well. And I think that when it comes to working with the right type of businesses, it's not modest of you to go, well, I turn down business, where other people are struggling to find business to work with. But I think that there is a reality to that, Okay, if you're not the right partner for us, I can make recommendations to people who follow a different process to me. There are, and and it's not a, an unvalid process; it's just a different way of working. They do things differently and to the way I, I do it. And what I, I really that-
0: enjoyed about when I started freelancing ten years ago, so I, I don't think I could go back to working in a job job. I was pleasantly surprised at how how open the the, the the community is that there is a pocket of people where if you have too much work, you can give overflow to other people. If it's not the right fit, you know other people. And I think especially for me anyway, growing up, there was women weren't always helping women. So it's nice that, that you know, it's like pull up a chair. There's enough work for everybody. There's a, there's a real real wholesome approach I think with freelancers that work on their own because I think we're, we're all in it together we all know the pains of, of, of working for yourself and running cash flow and paying yourself and dividends and tax and all the all the rest of it I've, I've definitely now if I'm I've got about three months of work ahead of me just because GA4 has been so popular if somebody wants it right now I can refer them to other people if they have capacity or if there's a job that I can't do because it's out of my skill set refer it to other people and I really like that that there's there's, there's a pocket of people in your your book. So it's, for me, growing the business hasn't just been doing a good job and positioning myself, maybe doing talks, podcasts, webinars, that kind of thing. But also building a network of other people that do jobs like me, because I don't know who did the quote, but it's your net work is your net worth. And I do believe in that that statement that the people you surround yourself with help with where you're trying to go if you're surrounding yourselves with the wrong type of people you'll get the wrong type of clients and you'll have the wrong type of people to refer to
1: i think we were is it in slovenia that we were sitting down sort of at the speakers table at a conference maybe six or seven years ago and i remember you saying to me going this is the first time that i've traveled abroad to speak at an event and i've met a bunch of these people and this has been so valuable to you yeah. and and the coloring the department to grow and i think that like it's the one thing i like about the sort of unconference format of a number of events that it it incentivized people to get up and share problems as much as the, their solution to yeah. that problem but then i think that was one of your earliest sort of speaking gigs as well wasn't it yeah
0: i started it wasn't that long ago actually or it feels like it i think um I've always done done some form of public speaking. So I started doing training for the Institute of Digital Marketing, probably about nine, eight years ago, then General Assembly, then B2B Marketing, ISDI, then doing stuff on my own. So getting in front of like 20, 30 people to teach a workshop or a class was was never an issue. Doing the the public speaking outside of you know, stuff we would do for General Assembly as a kind of way to get people in to do our longer courses. I think it was like the search leads, like 2018, something like that. And then doing a couple of events. And again, it it was reaching out to my network to go, I want to do some more public speaking, which I'm still terrified of doing. Like I still get really nervous. I'm I'm better than I was back then. And then they would do introductions to organisers and, and be honest of which ones were the good ones and which ones were the bad ones in terms of what I would want to get out of it. And yeah, I found the online stuff was fine, but you never got that contact with other people. Staring at a screen is not the same as having a dinner and and just chatting. I mean, me and you, Russell, we were talking about my kids and work. Like we didn't really talk that much about work. It was just getting to know other people. Because you're trying to build trust with your network as well. So it's, it's not just about talking shop, is it? It's also your life and everything like that. But but yeah, it's um, yeah invaluable to, to have those events. I'm really glad that they've started up again, actually, because I've missed it.
2: Missed seeing people's faces in person. Yeah, it's quite funny because actually Russell and I actually also met at an event. And that was This is how Russell makes his friends six years ago. (laughs) I know. This is the only way he makes friends. It's
1: the only way I make friends. I don't know. Like I don't think this surprises anyone who knows me. That basically I've got maybe four or five friends that aren't (laughs) digital friends. Everyone else is all digital. Like Jill, you came to my birthday a few Um, years ago. Everyone there was in marketing and works in digital marketing. And when someone brings their significant oh, other husband, and their significant like, other works outside, like, like everyone, it's like, oh, what do you do for a living? Be
0: in marketing, and he's like, this, "Okay." He went everybody all went, yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> but nobody will speak about it. <laughs>
0: exactly. We only speak about it when we need to.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think a network is invaluable because I, for me, it's the same, right? I have my network. I, we pass the work on. The only thing I don't like very much about my network is that it's still mostly men, but I'll find the women eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 a given, right? Yeah. No, but like the network helps us, right? But then when you're talking to a client and you ask them all these questions, do they ever get scared? Like, are they freaking out? I know when I started doing this, I, I've done the same. I've started asking questions and, and really trying to just be more than just a report. Yeah. And I've had clients literally just say, wait a second, we're not prepared for this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think for me, there's kind of two strands when I'm doing the debriefing bit, whether it's to the, I normally have a key stakeholder that I'll report to. So I like to have one person to anchor all of my questions to and anything before we give it to the wider team. When I do my debriefing to go, here's your measurement strategy. That's normally a PowerPoint presentation or Google Slides. And then there's a much bigger document. But I'll do a mini debrief to the stakeholder where we can sanitize some of it because some things they're going to fix, but they don't want to flag it to everybody in the company. An example of that would be recently, I had a client that didn't realize they were doing it, but they were pulling email addresses in the URL string of a form, which is a big no-no, and it can leak out to the HTTP, all of that. We didn't put that in the debriefing, but I had that as a separate conversation to go, you have a problem and we need to fix it, and here's how we fix it. And then from having that stakeholder to understand what information are people ready for so that we can present the plan and the action and and what's happening. But by doing that first part of that situation analysis, I know how deep to go into that solution design. And that may mean that I adjust my cost for it, actually. So I had one client where, let's say, hypothetically, I, I went, that's going to cost you £10. When I was going into it, I'm going, do you know what? This is actually six pounds worth of work because you're not ready for this bit. So let's put a pin in this. Come back to me in nine to 12 months and then we'll pick up the rest of it. Because if I do it now, it's a waste of time, waste of resources, and it might be out of date in six, 12 months time. So we can then adjust it. So the first part is a locked price because I know how much time that's going to take. Then I'll estimate the solution design and and the debriefing. And as I'm working through it, and I think this is maybe, hopefully, why I, I get work because I'm quite meticulous and methodical. But I'm honest about how much work there is and how much time it's going to be. Because otherwise, it is it is a complete waste to give it to them um, for that. So yeah, it can be sometimes you're, you're the bearer of bad news, the confabulations of data thing, where you're going, sorry, your data's lying to you, and you've made all these decisions off of a whole pile of nothing. But to turn it into a positive and say your step moving forward is going to be better. And reminding them that this process of how they're feeling and and what we go through is the same when they went through a web design, an SEO strategy, a paid media strategy. There was always something to fix, always something to work on. It's an evolving thing. Like I was at at HeroCon this week and somebody had said, I think it was because it's obviously paid media. And they were like, God, everything's so fast at the moment. You can wake up in the morning, having gone to bed as an expert and wake up as a novice because something's changed so dramatically that your skills are now redundant. So it's it's reminding everybody that digital's brilliant. marketing's brilliant. I've been doing this like officially since I was 14. I've, I've been in marketing for a very long time. I love it. I'm lucky that I found something I enjoy from an early age. It has never been the same as it is always changing. And it's to remind people that this isn't. I'm going to build you a car, and the car is the car, and it's going to stay like that until you bin it. It is a flexible, evolving, moving thing, so you have to uh, adapt to it with what's going on in in the world. So,
1: well, the the tactics change because technology changes, availability of things change, the but quality, the strategy, so, yeah. Exactly, all of those sort, of, but the tactical deployment of all of those things change, and the ability to do things in different platforms, and you've got more AI slash ML in things. So the the way that you do the doing will change, and hopefully get smarter and easier to do, which is more available to more people. But the strategy tends to stay very similar if you have the right strategy to start with. So I think that. One of the things, and and because I know you quite well, I know what your answer to this will be, but can we go down the vehicle analogy you're using at the moment for GA4, but step outside of just sort of Google land and speak about that in the context of actually what this means to a strategic mindset? I haven't asked a good question there, but I know what you think. I know. I
0: think I know what you mean. So I've been using an analogy that. If analytics was a mode of transportation, then when Urchin came on the market in 2005, we got a bike. And I'm old enough to remember the hit counters we had before the bike arrived. So we were like, this is amazing. I can cycle to the shops. This is great. And then they upgraded us with classic, which was a moped. And again, we were like, sweet Google, thanks. Engine can move around. This is brilliant. And 2011, 2012, they upgraded to the universal analytics. And that in essence is a car. And for people that use cars, uh, universal analytics, or other programs that are similar, we are either the driver, the passenger, maybe the engineer, some people have got better cars than others, but we're quite familiar with that model of a car and how it works and how we get from A to B. Even though Google's saying we're changing to this fourth version, GA4, even though they're saying it's an upgrade, it's like taking away your car and giving you a helicopter because the data model is so completely different, but then it's moving that helicopter idea to what Adobe's had a helicopter for ages and ringside's an event-driven model. So there's, there's kind of been helicopters flying around, but everybody's been on the floor predominantly with a very popular tool being Google Analytics. And they've just been driving the car, whether the car was reading the right dials, the confabulations of data, if the saw just in the engine. I meet some people, they don't even know where the car's parked. They're like, who's got the keys? I don't know. Somebody's got access somewhere. It's like it's a bit of a mess. So I think with this evolution that's happening where we've got a date next year of the 1st of July where Google's basically saying the car's not going to work anymore and we're just going to set it on fire. We're just going to get rid of it. So use the helicopter if you want to continue to use GA4. If you don't want to continue to use GA4, you still have a migration plan to figure out. You still have to move to another provider or have no data. And I've not met anybody yet that's gone, okay, I'm happy with no data. I'm happy to do all of my marketing and not have any dashboard to show me the direction of where we need to be going. So I think, and this is what I was talking to Russell about earlier, there's been, for me, a real, a real shift in people's mindsets that analytics was an afterthought. It was something where, you know, a checkbox, we put the code on the website, we're good to go. This shift of moving to GA4, because it's not apples for apples, it's cars to helicopters, They're having to really think about how they are collecting data and what do they need the data to do and what's useful to them and how are they moving over. They're also thinking for the first time that we are moving into an era where you are paying for your analytics. Now, this is probably a long time coming. I don't know many industries where if it was free, it was only free for a short amount of time. I think the way that we're going with GA4, you've got your free version and your paid version. But more people are going to use BigQuery, which is the black box to your helicopter, and that might be a micro payment of five, ten dollars a month. Times that by a couple of million people, Google stakeholders are now happy, and then some people might move over to another uh, provider like Ringside or Fathom or Matomo or whatever. And it has been a bit of a jolt to people when I say, like, what, what platform is is the right one for you. I know you're ready to pay for it. And it's almost like probably what SEOs felt like. Oh, SEO's is free because organic's free. And then you're having to tell them that there's actually quite a bit of work to get your website ready to be as best as it can be for those services. I've spoke to a few people where I think GA thought wasn't for them because they, they were like, we look at one goal. We just want to know if people arrive and like did the phone ring? And I'm like, OK, yeah, go to Fathom or plausible. And they, they kind of winced at paying like $10 a month. And I'm like, wow, like, are you data driven? Do you want to be like, what do you use the information for? If you're not willing to pay for this information, then you're really in a completely different stage of your business and, and maturity, I guess, using using data that way. For everybody else, it's a different skill to really think about their measurement strategy and People that I've worked with, they've they've really enjoyed the process. Don't say so myself because they have had to think about what was good, bad, ugly. What were they missing? What can they get out of the new version? And they've never had to do that before because somebody dropped code on the website. They started a job and they went, Siobhan, welcome to the company. Here's your email address. See you later. And there's no process. There's no measurement plan. There's no documentation. And that's going to change now. You're going to have documentation because you're going to have to to make it work. And if you're paying for it, there's almost like um, I'm sure there's a clever psychological word for this. But if you're paying for something, you value it a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Like Even if it's just a tiny bit a month, you're like, well, I'm going to make sure I show up. Like I have a subscription for Apple Music. I play my Apple Music because they take £10 a month out of my my account. So I don't just leave it and go, Oh, well, I'll just go into the free version of Spotify. I might know I'm using this because I'm paying for it. Yeah. But I think with music,
2: it was easier for us because with music, we were used to playing for CDs beforehand. Right. (laughs) So like, I think in analytics, it was always free. This whole Google thing was always free. And as everyone always thought it was out of the box too, which it really wasn't, you know, you needed to do things to it, to make it work for you. And That mindset shift is, I think, what's what people are struggling with. Because I see the same thing. It's like, wait a second, we need to now pay for something. It's always been free, and currently, people are just saying. A lot of people I'm seeing saying, "Let's just do GA4, no BigQuery, no nothing," because they just want to have this out of the box solution. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, how are we going to be able to kind of educate? to let people understand that out of the box, number one, doesn't exist. And yeah. secondly, is if you want to start having valid data and, and you want to start mm-hmm. looking at things that make sense to you and that are telling you the truth, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. And, and the, it's just thing, that then, education and bit. And when
0: I've said to people about paying for it, it's, they might be on ga for free, but you're going to have to pay for a developer to do the GTM configuration. I don't work for air like I, I or exposure. Like I need to pay my bills and my children's uh, food and that's been a bit of a, a bit of a shock i think when it comes to like how do you get people around this kind of mindset for it i think it's it's been validating again why are they using that data and do they do they want to use it and the education piece i always start with reminding people that any analytics program, whichever one you use, it's a computer program. There's no empathy. There's no, like, it's going to adapt and be like some sort of weird sci-fi movie and, and blend to your organization. You're absolutely right, Siobhan. It's out of the box. It's not out of the box. It's, you've opened Ikea furniture and you have to build it. Like it's, and you don't know what you need for the size of your house. And I think it's getting people to realize that you, you could put the configuration tag for GA4, or you could use u- universal analytics now, but it, it can't be everything to everybody because that would be, I mean, God, that would be like a miracle, right? For a computer to have the intelligence, that's an artificial intelligence analytics to go on your website. And I don't know, I watched iRobot the other day. So having like the, the face come in to go, I've analyzed your data, Jill, and I suggest we do these events. Would you like me to proceed? We're not there, anywhere near there. So you have to manually think about, What do I want this computer program to do? And there is always limitations to what that computer program to do. And data is wonderful, but it's a proxy for people. So I always say when I'm working with clients, getting your, your measurement plan in place, that's not a magic wand. You have to still talk to your customer experience data and usability testing. Like this is just numbers. It doesn't tell me the emotion behind what's happening. Somebody could be on your website for 10 minutes. That could be because they love it, or it could be that they're struggling and they don't know what's happening. So it's to remind them that computer programs are soulless, non-empathetic computer programs, and you have to tell it what you want it to do to get the output that you're looking for for your business.
1: And so, Joe, you've, you've spoken quite a lot about the companies that weren't paying for their analytics, but there are hundreds of thousands of businesses that were paying 50 grand plus yeah. up to mills for some version of premium GA, some version of the Adobe Analytics slash Omniture slash we can go back in further suites. And they're spending, let's just say 50 grand a year up to 250k a year, which is a reasonable amount of money. But for some businesses, that's not that much. There are many businesses like that, that have now gone Ah, my GA implementation, I thought was out of the box. And there are so many companies, because I, I don't think I've ever seen a, an analytics implementation where they've brought in an external person and they've gone, this is set up quite well. Yeah, I don't think that's ever happened. So there are many people in-house that have got very good systems, but they don't tend to bring the external people out in to come and help. So I think there are millions of businesses out there that are paying something and have been for years who... Have presumed that their setup was able to answer the questions that they thought they should be asking. And they were thought it was because that's what Google has been telling them it's able to answer. And this has given a number of people a kick up the ass to go, you should have been asking different questions. Mm. Your data wasn't right in the first place. Some of them probably don't even know that that's the case still. But now, you have to ask different questions in a different and answer different questions in a different way and i think that that is something that adobe's actually done quite well on but it's not adobe it's adobe's partners because adobe didn't really have a a, a professional services arm it uses third party partners who are very good at talking about how to use adobe better and that's a niche community it's quite big but it's still niche yeah. comparative to Google space. So how do you see Google evolving in this space where they're now having to rely on a number of key players in the industry to show the value of a GA4, but actually it's a complete mind shift. Uh, That's a a four (laughs) years there. Um, A a mind mind shift. shift. (laughs) (laughs) A mind shift shift away from here is what Google is able to answer you to going, what questions should I be asking? So how how do you see that happening? Because people are still struggling and I foresee a number of businesses just scared. They put on GA4 and then realizing that it's not the right solution to the types of things that they actually need. Yeah.
0: So I'll pick a few points on there. So one is... Similar conversations I've had with people where they tell me I, I put GA4 on, it doesn't give me the answers to the questions. And I think some of that is because I think because Google Analytics, the team are obviously working really hard on the helicopters. Nobody's on the car. Things are going to start breaking. I'm, I'm probably, I mean, I'm assuming because I don't know, but I'm I'm going to guess that that announcement in March when they went, oh, next year, we're killing it, that they were all like, wait, what? Like, what? We're not ready. We're not ready. And they're like, tough. We've announced it. Get the helicopter ready. Because of this, the documentation from Google is not there yet. Or if I, and I've read some of the documentation and I've been doing this for 10 years, I'd, I'd like to think I'm good at my job. And I was reading it going, what? Don't get it. Like it took me, and I'm like, God, if you're really new to this, you're going to get really unstuck. So I've been trying to explain to people that with GA4, if we think of events as parent, parent categories, And all of these parents are people and they are made up of DNA, event DNA. So an event name up to 25 parameters and then a length of characters that you would have. In GA4, when you set up that configuration tag, you get auto and enhanced events, parent category. So all page views, all file downloads. There's a concept in GA4 when you can create an event from an event. So I like to refer to this as I'm making a child because I'm taking data, DNA data, from the parents so I could isolate a thank you page where I only take the enhanced uh, events for page view where the page location equals forward slash thank you I'm going to name my child because you have to name them you can't have them wandering around with no name and I'm going to call this child thank you once you've mapped out those parent categories because then you've got your recommended and your custom work out which children you need Then things like the funnels work really nicely, audiences, you can use them for your paid media, but we can also use them for analysis and to create an event, which is like having a test tube baby. Because I can not only say, I want these parameters and values, I can do event counts and time. So I can say, I'm going to make a a baby where I'm taking who buys twice in 14 days who read five blog posts this month and then who went on this page and after five minutes they converted so they're they're more more specific test tube babies that we could create that normally then unlocks a lot of oh right oh so I can do this I'm like yeah but you didn't understand the event side of things and that's because there's no tool tips I think that's how you refer it when you go in and there's like a little helper all Google have done is say you need like that banner that's like you should create a and a, a put the tag on you're you're set to go and you're like your optimism is is laughable. Please give us some proper guidance on what to do. So I'm hoping that in the future there's going to be more. There's going to be more like we need we need more education on this. The other bit that you talked about remind me what we just <laughs> you said about getting people to move over this and the shift and then it was.
1: And it's, it's, it's the types of questions that they could answer. So, like getting different data in, realistically, ninety five percent of what you've just said was possible in GA three if you knew what you were doing. If not, all of it, because you can do not a lot by APIs.
0: No, no, there are some things we can do that you can't. APIs.
1: You can do that. a lot of those things if you can you can push stuff in via APIs.
0: Yeah, but. but- not- He's as clever as you, Russell. Like, this is uh, other It's
1: users. not me. I'd pay and other people reckon, to do this.
0: Out of all the users of, of Google Analytics, I reckon about 10 million will not go over to GA4. And I think that's by design by Google. I think they never expected this to be this popular. I listened to a podcast from Brian Clifton, who was the Google director that brought analytics to market. And he was saying something like, when they launched it in 2005, I'm going to get this number wrong, but it was something like, Oh, if we get like 100,000 users, that's going to be really good. And they didn't realize, they didn't expect it to be as popular as it is. And it grew really, really quickly. I don't think they expected, because we think of Google as not having any physical things. They do, servers, and they cost a lot of money. So I think this row with the EU, which I'm sure if people go back to your podcast with Rick, we'll, we'll open up some of that.
1: Didn't this even talk crazy. about privacy with Rick, which was one uh, of the most amazing yeah. things. On purpose. On purpose. I
0: actually think that Google have gone, all right, then we'll move these servers over to Europe for GA4. People that don't spend any money with us don't really do ads. They forget it's there. We're going to burn it, repurpose these servers, and we'll pull it over for service side tagging BigQuery. They don't care. They don't care. There's the stakeholders care. 80% of Alphabet's revenue comes from paid ads. So GA4 protects their main source of income. It also means that there's an opportunity for them to make those additional micro payments for those GA4 BigQuery exports or people that want to do server-side tagging because guess what, Google already a server. So I think there's gonna be a real shift in the market for anybody that's not really using it for the capabilities that you could use it for, will go to Fathom, Plausible, and I'm really excited to see what the alternatives are also gonna bring for their enterprise offering. And I hope they're ready because I think it's not now. It's going to be this time next year when people realize that their car's broken. They didn't set up the helicopter or the helicopter wasn't right, but they're not ready for that learning journey yet. So their option will be move over. And I really hope they're ready for what's coming, because there are some people that just want very basic information and those tools are very easy at giving you those insights. You know, the, this 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 spike of traffic came from this referrer and that's all they want. They want a helping hand. I've seen some clever work with the community. And I think this is where Google's probably, it's on to be honest, it's always relied on the community, hasn't it? There's been GTM containers built, dashboards built, when you could input dashboards on Google Analytics. They, they'll always have their comms, which is very, basic high level and then there's people in the community that build the tools that that help i've seen um dominic woodman from distilled or former distilled and he's got a tool called piped out and that has basically it sucks all of your data into a big fat data warehouse and he's done it in in a beautiful way where it's got pre pre pre-built questions and then when you click yes i want that that's the question And then it builds the SQL script for you because not everybody wants to work out the SQL script. They just want to know, oh, which queries came from my search console because you've stuck 200 together or something like that. So I think as as the tools get more sophisticated, people want to be told what should I do or some sort of yardstick with common questions because we want to feel like everybody else. We want to feel like they're asking the same questions. Then you've got your real sophisticated users that are just doing mind-boggling stuff. But to the majority, they're not ready for that, that yet. So I think Google's moving more towards enterprise. They're moving more towards these micro payments. Anybody that's on paid media, using an agency, you're probably going to be using GA4 or an equivalent. And then for the rest, I, I don't think they're gonna go. And I've had conversations with people where this scared the life out of them. And when and it goes back to those original questions of what are you doing with the data and what questions are you answering? And there's a there's a person back at me going, just wanna know that people went on the website and and the phone rang and somebody came into the shop and and like I did a bit of blogging and like did it work? I'm like, okay, then that's fine. It's just knowing where you are on your learning journey and your measurement journey that you do start somewhere. So it's working out where your, your, your zero is and then building out from there.
1: So to wrap up, I think people might want to get in contact with you because they're at a maturity level where they do want to know what's going on on their website more than who's viewed what and where. So where on the internet can people find you? So
0: I am probably what you would call a lurker on social media. So I have a Twitter but I only really like like or retweet when somebody says something nice about me. I don't really get involved. I like listen to what's happening. But I am on Twitter at Jill Quick. I'm on LinkedIn. There's not many Jill Quicks in the world. I'm the cartoon face. So it's quite easy to find me. And then you've got my website, thecluriendepartment.com. And I am in the process of writing a bit more content and some guides to help people with this transition as they're they're facing the new world ahead of us with analytics.
1: Awesome. So you can find Jill at all of those places and if you want to continue listening to other interviews and conversations in this series, find us on all of the podcasting and YouTube, etc., under Marketing and Thank you very much, Jill, and Siobhan, we'll see you soon.
2: Thank you.